Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. That was awesome. I am uh, so thankful for those who are gifted in, in music and, and instrument and are able to lead us in that way. Uh, you know, worship is great without instruments, without, without the, the, you know, the choreography of everyone coming together. But man, when you can create something where everyone's coming together with, with, with all these beautiful sounds and our voices, it's a pretty special thing. And so uh, I know I'm thankful for it. I know that, that some of you guys, this is your first retreat. Uh, with the Living Faith Fellowship, and I know for others, you've been coming to this for a while, and, and, uh, and, and maybe this is the first time you've ever spent this many hours with Christians, with, with people who, who claim to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and, and you're trying to figure us out. You're trying to figure whether or not um, we're as crazy as the world says we are. And, uh, man, I just want to invite you to keep checking us out. Keep, keep, uh, keep joining us, and, and by God's grace, you can also experience the goodness of God's love to you. I don't know if, if any of you guys were at the all-church retreat. I think it was about two years ago, and uh, we were in this just great, wonderful, fevered time of worship, and uh, Eric Phillips uh, was uh, there was some mood, and every song had a false ending. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the first time, the first time it's going, and all of a sudden they stop, and, you, and you're like, oh, yeah, and then, they, and then they start up again, and you're kind of like, you're looking at your neighbor, you're like, he got me. And the first time, you're like, you're like, you're looking around, and you're like, that was good, you know. And, and then the second song, they do it, and you're like, oh, man, wow, that's, oh, yeah. And the third time, you're just shaking your head. <laughs> you're like, no, no. The, the fourth time, I'm starting to, to curse <laughs> in my heart while I'm trying to praise God. And so, uh, and by the time it was the seventh, I was trying to pick up the chair, you know, and I started punching people. You know, and, uh, and they, what they look back and they're just like, it's, it's granted, I, I get it, I'm going to punch you now too. No, uh, so the, the false ending though, that, you got me. You know, I was back there and I was like, ah, okay. So, Seth, you get one. You get one. Okay, I, I looked to my neighbor and I said, ah, he got me, right? But, uh, you guys remember that? Yes, okay, yeah. Did you see my heart, like my countenance fall? <laughs> I'm not going to repeat that. Uh, anyway, man, that was a, it was a blessing, though. And this weekend has been so great. And uh, it is an honor for me to come out here every single time. And, and I thank Brandon for inviting me. And, and uh, it's so precious to me to spend time with so many young adults. And, and uh, even for the small amount of time that I get to spend time with, with the living faith, young adults as well, uh, it's, it's a pleasure. It really is. It's a pleasure. And so um, I pray that I'm, I'm 
being used of God in your life. And, I, and I, I do believe, as he always has, that God is using both Brandon's messages and the messages that he has prepared me with to work together so that we could truly consider um, how we can move forward this, this, uh, this weekend. And, and I'll tell you, I know that my message last night was, was really kind of preparing us for this evening. Everything was leading us up to get to this point. And and, and I obviously didn't speak with Brandon about this, but I think his is doing the same. I think he's doing the same thing. And, and with David, we see this imperfect hero, a man that was greatly used of God, and, that, and, and then at one point is afraid, is doubting um, uh, God's provision, protection. He's starting to scheme, and yet uh, what does Ahimelech bring back to him? The, the word of God, the sword. And he puts the sword back in his hand, and so there's something pretty incredible about where we're left in the message. Uh, and so I would just say, prepare your heart. Prepare yourself uh, for the, you know, the false ending, right? <laughs> uh, maybe we're doing the same thing. We don't even know it. I don't know. But uh, prepare your heart. We're going to continue where we ended last night. And I believe that probably Brandon's going to be doing the same thing. And so these, these aren't, you know, this isn't the best of, of the singles, right? This, this, is a, this is the album, right? This is the long play. We're trying to build up an argument um, for why you can and should, uh, man, be a giant killer, right? And why you can be a part of the good work of God. Are you guys ready? That's a good answer. That makes me feel good. Let's pray, okay? Father, we come before you now, um, and we need you. And uh, not only myself, but all of us, we need you. Every hour we need you. And so, Father, I just pray right now that, that as you speak through your word, as, as you speak through me, that you would speak to hearts and minds and that, that our bodies would actually live out the, the command, that our bodies would live out the address that you've given. And so, God, please have your way tonight. I, I pray that every single one of us would, would have a focus, no matter how tired we are, that we'd be focused to hear you speak to us. And, God, that's what I need and I know that I can't accomplish that in and of myself. And so, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would take over, and we believe that he will. And so, God, we thank you so much for your son. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Okay, once again, I'm going to probably throw up a lot of things. I'm not going to throw up tonight. Uh, you're like, wow, interesting. That's a new way of starting. Um, usually they start with a joke, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Got that out of the way. Okay, guys. <laughs> really nervous. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to throw a lot of things on the PowerPoint. And so don't feel like you got to get everything down. I'm trying to use the PowerPoint as a visual aid. And so just know that there's going to be a lot of things that are put up there and, and uh, that hopefully it'll help you better understand what's, what's said tonight. And you can take something with you, right? In the book of Numbers... Israel is on their way to the promised land. They had successfully escaped Egypt. And God was giving the particular details for how Israel was to enter the promised land. Just like in the book of Leviticus, the book right before Numbers, God was giving his people expectations for how to worship. And a big part of worship in the Old Testament, and especially as it was written in the five books of the law, a big part of worship was given to the priest's office. The priest 
had a large portion in administrating the worship of God. They were to lead the children of Israel in worship before the Lord according to the way in which God instructed his people. Did you guys get that? The priest had a very particular role, and that was to administer or to to deliver the sacrifices in a manner that God expected and that God intended. And so in Numbers 3, we have two of Aaron's sons. Aaron is the first high priest, and now we have two of his sons who are in the family business, if you will. They're working with, with, their, with their father, and they are of the royal priesthood. And they are preparing to offer a sacrifice unto the Lord. And it says in Numbers 3.1, These also are the generations of Aaron and Moses in the day that the Lord spake with Moses in Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the priests which were anointed, don't miss that, they were anointed, whom he consecrated to minister in the priest's office. And so what we learn of this is that the priests who served God and served the nation of Israel, they were anointed and consecrated for the task of ministering before the Lord. Throughout Scripture, when you want to think of that word anointing, anointing is seen as a representation of God's choosing. And so when someone is anointed, it is, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a showing of God's representation for this particular group of people. So as they were anointed, what this would show everyone is that these are the men that I have chosen to lead people in worship. And so we see that, that their anointing was, was showing that these are a particular group of men that I've called. Consecration, it simply means that God intended for them to be set apart. They were to be set apart. Many of you guys know these things. And they were to be set apart for the work of God that he had called them to. They were to be a peculiar people set apart for his good work. And yet it says in verse 4 of Numbers chapter 3 that Aaron's sons died. We just heard about them. Three verses, late, three verses earlier, we just hear of Nadab and Abihu. And it says in verse 4 that they died before the Lord because they offered strange fire. Numbers 3, 4, it says, and Nadab and Abihu died. They died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord. In the wilderness of Sinai, they had no children. And Eleazar and Ithamar ministered in the priest's office in the sight of Aaron, their father. Not only does and did God have an expectation for his worship, but they had been taught those expectations as well. They had been taught the right expectations of worship, which I would say, so have you, many of you. Exodus 39, it says, ye shall offer no strange incense thereon. It's done, right? It's understood. 
nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. Nadab and Abihu, they understood their high calling. And they understood the consequences for disobeying and the consequences for their disobedience in worship as they led the children of Israel. The result was death. Now, as we study the scriptures, we were going to learn, and maybe you've already learned this, that the narrative of the Old Testament is meant to show us a physical picture of today's spiritual reality. In this, we see that God absolutely takes his worship seriously, and he is prescriptive in his worship. He's not interested in us giving him whatever we want. And listen, this should be understood not only in the story of Nadab and Abihu, but this should be understood in the story from Cain. We just talked about Cain last night. God is prescriptive in his worship, and it's not okay for us just to give him whatever we deem would be appropriate. This should be a lesson that we learned from Cain even last night. But what we realize, and what I believe we understand all too regularly, is that this is what mankind has attempted to do for millennia. That throughout human history, there are many individuals, many nations, many people who have a great interest in worshiping God. They want to serve God. I'm not speaking of the false religions. I'm not speaking of people who, who are against God. I'm talking about people who want to serve God. Throughout the generations and throughout millennia, we have people that want to serve God, but we want to do it the way that we want to do it. <laughs> I want to serve God. I'm interested in it. In fact, this whole thing kind of gets me excited. But when it comes down to it, when it gets down to the brass tacks, and we start talking about the prescriptive measure by which God expects his worship to be given and received, we're like, well, hey, listen, that's a great idea, but I also got some ideas. And the reality is, is that God's not interested in our ideas. He's not interested, as we see so many times, whether it's Nadab and Abihu or Cain, to this God says, no thanks. And even more so, we see not only from, from their lives, but we see that there are consequences. There are consequences to their false worship. And we know that there are consequences to our false worship. You say, well, well one of the big ones, right? They died, right? Well, that was a big one. <laughs> they died, yes. But not only did they die, that's the thing that we all focus on, but the word says that they had no children. The fact that they wanted to worship God in their own manner rather than the prescriptive manner in which God expected and shown us, when they started doing it their own way, the result of that, the consequence of that, was their death, and the reality is that they would never pass on their generation to another. No children. For us, we see a, a spiritual reality from this physical picture. 
their rebellion, and don't get it twisted, this was rebellion. Worshiping God in your way rather than the manner in which he has shown us in his word, their rebellion led to their death. And they had no fruit. The same will be true of us as well if we refuse to submit to God's leading If we refuse to submit to the clear directions of his word, the same will be true of us. And listen, we should expect no less. God was not just trying to prove a point with Nadab and Abihu. Gotcha, no one else better do that. This was not God making an example. This was how serious he takes his worship. It's how serious he views this. And so if we think that we can give to God, even now, today, whatever we want, and guys, I've heard it so many times, whether, I was, whether it was as a college and young adult pastor or now as the pastor of living faith, you know what people always say when we have this kind of weird dialogue? At the end of it, after I've clearly given them doctrine, they say, you know what? I don't know, man. I, I think God's cool with it. I've heard that so many times. I, you know, I think God, what, understands God's not cool with it. He's not. And no, he does not understand. As it relates to our study tonight, we must learn that our offerings, the things that we offer to God, must likewise, please don't miss this, our offerings must likewise align themselves with the desires of God's heart. We cannot simply give to God what we think is best. That is not a choice that we get to make. That is not your choice. And we must know that unless we offer to God a sacrifice that is pleasing and acceptable to him, we will be in danger of having no spiritual fruit in our lives. And then after that, guess what? The judgment seat of Christ. Don't think that Nadab and Abihu in Numbers 3 is like some other alternate universe where God did all these things really strange and weird. I get it. Physical picture of the spiritual reality. But I am telling you this right now. If you keep thumbing your nose at God and his word and you keep thinking that you can just live your life the way you want to live it and worship him the way that you want to do it, you will spiritually die with no fruit. And after that, the judgment. The judgment. Last night, we closed with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Following Jesus' resurrection, right after the resurrection, he gives the apostles a very specific commission. He is prescriptive in his worship. In that commissioning, we saw a command for his believers, and, and I said it last night, but we can say it again. He told us to go. He told us to go. He told us to teach all nations. And, and, and of those people that you teach God's word, what does it say? Baptize those who believe. Baptize the believers. And from that he says, and those who are baptized, teach them again. Teach those who believe and do this until the end of the world. This is it. This is the mission. This is the worship that I expect from my children. And guys, we see, and what I was hoping to do last night was to show you that that this has always been, this has always been his good work. 
The good work that he's inviting you into, as we look through the scriptures, even though there were specific details that he gave to each individual steward, what we find is that all along, it's always been this. It's always been this. It's always been the Great Commission. But not only has this always been the case, but more specifically, this is what God has given us today. This is it. So, for all practical purposes, God has given us the guardrails for the work. We are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to baptize those who believe. We are to teach the believers the word of God. And we need to do this until the end of the world. Okay, okay. And you go, well, hey, I got it. I think I got that. That's easy. It's only five points. Like, I can remember that. Matthew 28, I think I know that. I've heard the Great Commission. This is great. Let's go for it. This is good. But, but in the back of your mind, at least in the back of my mind, I'm always asking the question, but is there more? Is, is there more for the Christian today? Is there more for the believer? Is there more for the follower of God? Does God, you're telling me that God has a very particular uh, uh, interest in receiving worship. If there's more, I kind of want to know about it, Right? Does God have other expectations for us today? Listen, brothers and sisters and, 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 and family and, and guests who are here with us this weekend, wouldn't you hate to finish your course? Wouldn't you hate to finish your course only to realize that there was so much you missed? Wouldn't you hate to, to, to go through this entire life? You guys are so young. You have so much ahead of you. You have so much promise and ability and, and opportunity. Wouldn't you hate looking, looking at the next few decades of your life, a whole generation that could go past and at the end of your life only realize that you missed it? I mean, that's devastating. Is it not to you? Wouldn't it be devastating to think that all along, you were, you, were, you were involved and you were doing ministry and you were following God only to realize that there were so many things from his word that you just didn't connect with and you didn't understand? What would it be like if you, if you were to realize later on in this life that, that there were so many of your convictions, there were so many of your convictions that seemed sincere, you had so many convictions about, about culture and, and society and, 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 and your own family and your neighborhood and your environment. And you had, you had all these convictions and, they, and when you think about them and, and when you talk to people, they seem so sincere and it seems right. It looks right in your own eyes. But those things that you're pursuing, you realize later on that they were never biblically founded. That the, that the convictions of your heart were biblically unfounded convictions. Wouldn't that grieve you? Wouldn't it grieve you to know that your preconceived notions of worship were in reality just socially constructed ideologies framed by the ever-changing and swaying philosophies of men? Wouldn't that grieve you? It would grieve me. Wouldn't it grieve you that, that the way you view ministry is through the lens of this world rather than through the lens of Scripture? 
Rather than asking God what he wants, we, we think about all these things and, and we think, well, this is what the world needs and the world needs this and what if we did this and we tried that and that doesn't work and so let's try this instead. And God's here saying, how about you do what I said? How about you follow the worship that I gave you in my word? And so the question is, is there a particular way in which God wants us today to participate in his work? Is there a way? And you go, well, he gave us the Great Commission. Isn't that it? Listen, we understand that the Great Commission covers the what. Do you guys follow that? The Great Commission is the what. What are we supposed to do? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That's the what that we're supposed to do. But could it be that we still need some wisdom on the how? I think for the most part, many Christians, and I, and I believe right now, you're all, you're all now responsible, because I just told you, you know the Great Commission. You know where it, it comes from, Matthew 28. You know the what. The question is, is do you know the how? To dig a little deeper, it's going to require that we peer into the beginning of this new work. And to do that, we're going to need to open our Bibles to the book of Acts. You see, the Gospels showed us, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read the Gospels, the Gospels showed us the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the Acts, what's the full title? The Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Apostles, it reveals just that. How did the apostles, following the resurrection, how did the apostles respond to Christ's resurrection and ascension? How did they obey, because they did, how did they obey the commands of the Lord? And do we look at the apostles and does this present a model for us today? In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is resurrected. We know that. He he appears to his people. He's resurrected. He has now been with his disciples for 40 days following the resurrection. But now he is about to ascend. This is how the book starts in Acts. He's about to ascend up to the Father. His earthly ministry is over and he's giving his last charge to his followers. He's giving this last charge and yet this is where we, as a, as a group of people, as those who would say, I want to follow God, this is where we must pay attention, because this is where our part of the story begins. Last night, we talked about a partnership for the ages. Tonight, I want to show you how, how and where and, and in what manner our part exists in the story of God. Acts 1, verses 1. The former treaties through five, it says, have I made oath, uh, oath uh, Theophilus, wow, my mouth is, boo, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Don't miss verse three. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. It was infallible, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the what? 
kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Jesus is giving his final message to his followers. And just like we concluded yesterday, we, we concluded here yesterday, without the Holy Spirit, the believer is powerless. I have no ability of my own to accomplish the work of God. And while we know today that the Holy Spirit enters the life of the believer immediately following our faith, in Acts 1, the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, only came after Christ had ascended. In fact, Jesus taught them this in John 14. He says, when I leave, the Comforter's coming. And so they're like, well, why didn't it happen right away? Well, he was still floating in the air, <laughs> right? And so he is leaving. He's ascending. He says, hey, he's coming soon. And so Jesus reminded his followers, and guys, this is good advice for us even today, that if we are going to accomplish the work of God, it will only be as the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. This is what we covered to, to close, but it's, it's how we need to open. Is if you want God to use you in his worship today, it's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit in you. There is no other power. There is no other agency that is provided to the believer and the Holy Spirit speaking through the word of God to you. Acts 1, verses 6 and 7, it continues saying, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times of the, or the seasons which the Father hath put in his power, in his own power. Now, if you, if you remember, and maybe your, your Bibles are open to Acts, Acts 1, in Acts 1, verse 3, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about what? The kingdom of God, and yet they're interested in the kingdom of, well, you, yeah, you guys know the answer, heaven, but they specifically say Israel. Because all the disciples, you know what they're waiting for with the Messiah? That he's going to kick tail and kick Rome out. That's what they're waiting for. And so they're asking him this question, but here's the thing. Notice that the disciples, and, and pay attention, Acts 1, this is the bedrock of how we are to follow God. So you guys need to be taking notes. You need to be writing these things. I, I know the what. I want to know the how. Notice his disciples are still interested in a physical kingdom. They were looking for a physical king. And yet, even earlier in this passage, Jesus isn't speaking of establishing an earthly kingdom. He's directing his followers to a spiritual kingdom. From this, we learn a very important point regarding this new work, our work. The kingdom of God will not be about political power or social issues. It will be a spiritual kingdom which provides spiritual power, which then changes our society from the inside out. Don't get it backwards. We're not here to establish a physical kingdom. This is a spiritual kingdom that God is impressing upon our hearts, and he's asking, do you want to be a part? 
And too often we are, are, are so focused on all the other things rather than the one thing that God has told us to do. Acts 1.8, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So we see immediately following Christ's resurrection and, and ascension, Jesus reminds his followers that the work of God that it would only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit in their lives. And that this work would involve us sharing the gospel both near and far. Those are the two things that we understand as the bedrock of our faith. Fundamentally, we see that the primary task of God's people then is to be a witness of what God has done in you. This is a fundamental principle of our work. So here's the second thing that we want to discover this evening. The good work of God is told by those who witness. The good work of God is told by those who witness. And in and, and case you're like, yeah, I get this, we talk about this all the time, and there's all types of opportunities in my own, in my workplace, in my school, and even in, in, in the church setting, we invite people to join us. I get that. No, I don't think you get it. The bedrock of our worship in this generation, number one, begins with the Holy Spirit. We understand that. But secondly, it begins with a witness. This is how we enter the work. The way you enter the work of God is with a witness. The good work of God requires someone who says, listen, I was there. That was me. But this is how he changed me. I'm the evidence of his great work Please get that. You have to get that. Well, I think I'm actually, um, you know, more shy, and, and I'm gifted in, you know, coffee ministry. <laughs> and praise the Lord, we got people who are serving us in that way. And that's a benefit, and, and, and that's great, and, and, and or children's ministry, worship ministry, security, AV, whatever it is. If you don't find yourself witnessing the gospel then you have not entered the door of his work. It's fundamental. It must be that the work of God is the Holy Spirit moving through me. I have no power or agency of my own. But upon this foundation, I also must realize that the only way that I enter into his work is not all these other things. It's through my witness and through my witness all of these other things exist. You will not have a children's ministry, a worship ministry, an AV ministry, a preaching ministry if it doesn't begin with a witness ministry. It just won't. This is how you enter. You're like, well, so-and-so's an evangelist. You're to do the work of evangelism. Well, 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 well you know... I watered, Apollos did this and all that. I get that. We're, that's why God wants to use all of us together. I get that. 
But if you want to understand biblically, following the resurrection, what does God intend? God intends for you to witness. That is the entrance of his work. And if you try to go into his work in some other way, it's not his work. It's not his work. Acts 1, 12 through 14, the narrative continues. It says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotus, uh, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued, how? With one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, the the Mary, uh, different different conversation, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Directly after Christ's ascension, his followers were meeting in harmony. They were meeting together in one accord. And what were they doing? They were in prayer and supplication. And so another thing that we need to understand about the the foundation of this good work for us today is that the early act of unity and prayer demonstrated the need for communion. They need communion. This was something that was fundamental to the believers that were following Christ after his death, resurrection, and ascension. The very first thing that we see them do is, is, well, number one, Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Ghost to come, to come into you. Secondly, you will be witnesses of me. But third, there is an expectation, there's a pattern, if you will, of communion. And I'm not speaking of the Lord's Supper. That is not the conversation I'm having. They knew, as believers, as followers of God, they knew the importance of being with one another and with the Lord. They knew it was important. In fact, it was, it was a matter of survival. They needed each other. There was a need to be unified in heart, mind, and body. They had a desire to be invested in one another's lives. And listen, and that's not going to happen once a week. I hate to break it to you. That's not going to happen once a week. They understood to be, to be victorious in God's good work. It was going to require them not only working together, but living out their faith together. That in some way there needed to be an opportunity by which they could live out their faith together in their lives, not in services. For you and I, this is why we, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we study the word together. This is why we pray together. This is why we worship in song and minister alongside one another. Listen, it's not simply to fill our days. It's not simply because we have nothing better to do, and I guess this is just what the church does, and we just do these things. It's not for us just to create spiritual busy work. Instead, Christ's followers see the importance of communion. And even more, and I'm going to pick up the pace, even more in verse 15, we see that there's evidence of leadership in God's work. Guys, this is the foundation of the work of God for us today. We need the Holy Spirit. We're powerless without him. 
The entrance into the work is a witness. We need communion with each other. We need communion with God. We need, we need prayer and supplication. We need to spend time with one another. But listen, this work requires leadership. In verse 15, Peter stands up and he speaks to the assembled of this need. Right? Judas, he, he betrayed Christ. He hung himself. And they, they believed at this time, and it's biblically understood, that they needed to replace Judas. And so he begins declaring this to the team and uh, to, to the people that are in this room, and they start talking about how they're going to do this. They needed leadership. Leadership was important. Okay, so and, and we're not even halfway through Acts 1. And what have we already established about this new work of God? What we understand from, from the very beginning is that God's good work in us, it will involve the Holy Spirit. Without him, we're sunk. We're sunk. It will require that we become witnesses of the gospel. To be effective in the ministry, communion will be necessary with God and with one another. And God's work needs leadership. As these are plainly seen in the first chapter following the resurrection. And so what we now understand, okay, what's the what? What's the what? Anyone remember? The Great Commission. Well, this is the how. We know the, we know the what, but what's the how? We just covered it. We, the Holy Spirit witnessing communion, leadership. The, the, the first chapter is just showing us this, this bedrock for you and I. And then in Acts 2, as Christ said would happen, the Holy Ghost came down and it filled the house and those who placed their faith in Jesus were filled with the Holy Ghost. It says that Jewish believers were speaking in languages that they had never learned, sharing the gospel and the good news of the Messiah to the people of Jerusalem and from people from faraway lands. It was an incredible moment. It says that in Acts 2, some believed and others mocked. Once again in Acts 2, Peter stands up for a second time. There's a second moment where Peter stands up. Only this time he's not speaking to the believers. His message is outward facing, showing us a model for today. And it's plainly this, that we have a need and it is expected that we, are, that we share our faith with the lost. There is a need and it is expected that we share our faith. Now notice how the people respond to Peter's message. Guys, this is critical that we capture this reading. Acts 2, verses 37 through 41. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles. What had Peter just done? He shared the gospel, the good news of the Messiah, that he'd come to Israel. He shares this with them, and it says, When they heard that, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word 
They received the word of God. It says that they were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. There's 120 people in this upper room, and the next thing you know, we got 3,000 individuals plus who have received the word. They believe that the Messiah had come to rescue Israel. 3,000 souls were added not only to the faith. Listen, don't just skip over, over the words. The words of God are measured. They're there for a reason. It says 3,000 souls were added, how? Unto them. It didn't say that 3,000 souls were added to the faith. It said it was added unto them. Their newfound faith was directly tied to fellowship. When they received the gospel, the good news of the Messiah coming to the nation of Israel, what we recognize is that their newfound faith in the Messiah, it was directly tied to fellowship. It goes on to say that they received the word and were promptly baptized. Well, this kind of sounds like Matthew 28 and Acts 1.8. It sounds like they're doing what they were told to do. Let's keep reading in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now you probably haven't noticed it, and I've already messed up a couple times both nights, but I was intentionally not using the word church because I didn't want you to turn off or in some way think, well, then I already know all this. I go to church. I wanted you to understand that this is what followers of Jesus Christ do. This is what believers do. This is what Christians do. And yet what we realize in Acts chapter 2 is that when someone placed their faith in God, it was directly tied to fellowship. And not only that, it was directly tied to the church. Their personal salvation was tied to other believers. And guys, there's so much to unpack in these verses, and we don't have time tonight to do that. There's so much that we could talk about in regards to the expectations that God has for his church according to passages like this. But if we can, for the sake of time this evening, if we can just focus on the last verse of this chapter, it says in verse 47, and the Lord added to the church such daily, such as should be saved. Before we are to uncover any other parts of this passage, it is imperative that we understand that when believers placed their faith in God, that when people placed their faith in Christ, the word of God says that they were added to the church. 
From the very beginning of this new work of God, it was by God's design that you and I would belong to his church. It was never intended for God, it was never God's intention for you to be saved, but to live out your faith alone. It was never God's intention. You say, well, how can you say that? Because this is the birth of the church. It's the beginning. Jesus Christ has died. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended. And in his ascension, he gave clear prescriptive ways in which we are to worship. And we begin to see this unfold in a practical process. And what do you see? As believers give their faith to God, it says they were added to the church. From this, we see that God's good work begins as believers are not just saved, but as they are added to the church. Please don't miss that. The church, at least as it relates to the, to the work of God, is to be, please hear me, the church, as it relates to the good work of God, is to be interwoven. The church is to be interwoven into the framework of one's salvation. In this remarkable passage, we see the Lord's design. We see a pattern is provided for how his work will be done in you. You say, well, I don't know, Dan. I, I, the Word of God says that, that when I accept Jesus Christ, it's a personal decision that I make. And that personal decision, if you are going to enter into the work of God right, brings you to his church. Listen, listen. I believe for the most part, the message of the Great Commission is clear. I do believe it. But how we accomplish the Great Commission has the potential of being missed. So don't miss it. And that, that's, my, that's my message tonight. Don't miss it. Don't miss the how. Don't miss the clear instructions from God's word on, on what he expects from you and how he expects you to worship him. It has always been of the utmost importance to God that his children find a home. What did I say last night when he was working with Abraham? The worship of God, the good work of God is a family business. It has always been God's intention from the very beginning that his children, that they would find a home where they can worship with God and with others in a new family whose father is the Lord. The work of God is the work of the church. So if you want to be a part of his work, you need to find your place in his church. I'm not saying, that you, you, I'm not saying you can't serve God in your personal life. Quite the contrary, really. You're like, oh, well, so everything has to be within the church. Listen to me. So that means you were just talking about a witness, but I can't always do that within the four walls of the church. Okay, hold on, hold on. I'm not saying that, that, that I'm asking you to do away with your personal witness. Quite the contrary. But is your personal witness inviting people into the good work of God? Where is your personal witness 
taking them? If they're getting in the car, where are you going? And if you're sharing them the gospel, and I get their stage, and I, and I get their ways and, and manners and days and, and weeks that, that need to unfold, but as the conversation continues to grow, and man, it must begin with Christ. It must begin with Christ. As the conversation begins, I simply want to ask you, Christian, where are you taking me? Where are we going? How are you going to get me as a new believer into the good work of God? Well, now you're saved, so you're in it. No, you're not. No, you're not. Salvation is not the end goal for the believer. So is your personal witness inviting people into the good work of God? To do so, your witness must, in, uh, uh, it must involve bringing the lost to God's church. Your personal witness should be in such a way, which it could be at your work, at your, in, your, in, your, in your schooling, in your neighborhood, whatever. But at some point, in some way, just as an example, those that you're witnessing need to know Brandon. They need to know Blade. They need to know the people that God is using in your life, in your local assembly. It can't be that you're collecting this little posse of your own. Can't be that you're just collecting these people that are like, these are my sheep. Yeah. Your personal witness must bring the lost to God's church so that they can enter, not just into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but so that they can enter into the family of God. Isn't this cool? It's awesome. And so now my evangelism is not just I hope you get saved. I mean, I got so much more. <laughs> Let me tell you, man. When you give your life to Christ, I want to, I want to show you my friends. And I want to show you your family. And I want to show how you can also be a part of this, what? Good work. Which involves the church. It involves the church. Guys, it cannot be understated. God never intended for you to be alone in your worship, nor is it possible for you to fulfill his good work entirely on your own. Well, I don't know, man. I'm done with organized religion. The church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, amen, whatever. You know, it's like, go on. I've heard it so many times. I want to tell you right now as a warning, because that's my job. If you think that you can accomplish the good work of God on your, own, on your own, you're wrong. Biblically, you're wrong. Biblically. Don't listen to me. Have I been spinning the word right now? I don't believe so. I'm showing you the verses. I'm showing you how the word of God unfolds. And I'm showing you right now that it is impossible for you to accomplish the good work of God entirely on your own. Will there be times when you need to be on your own? Yes, there will. Jesus, after his baptism, was put into the wilderness immediately. There will be times where you will be put on your own and you will be tested in such a way to where God is, is, is trying you in such a way for you to grow in him. That happens. But listen, after that testing, when you are used of God and when you're in his work, where are you hoping to be nourished, refreshed? Where are you hoping to bring others? It's got to be the church. There are some people today who I believe they need to let those words sink in. There are people in this room, I believe right now, that, that need to hear what I'm saying as a warning, but also as a plea. 
Don't miss it. Don't waste your life. For some, you're, you're going to labor in the work. Listen, some of you are going to labor in the work only to realize that you missed the work. And because of that, no matter how intentional or how many tears were cried, you're going to suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ. All because you neglected the centrality of the local church in you. You're going to miss it because you've rejected the centrality of not only the local church, but the centrality of God's good work for this age, for this time following the resurrection. In this, listen, on a fundamental level, what I'm trying to communicate is this, that God's good work can only be done as you find your home in his church. This is the structure that he has chosen to accomplish his will in you. And I know what, what people are thinking. You're, you're already starting to think about these things. Well, and that's why I put it in my notes. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. It's not about attendance. It's not about attendance. Oh, Dan, you're a pastor, so you're pushing the church because, well, this, is, this kind of fits your kind of model, and, and maybe there's other models. I'm giving you the biblical model. If you think I'm scheming like that, you don't know me. I got so many other things I could be doing. If you, if you think that I'm that pathetic, and listen, maybe I am, but you don't know me very well then. You just don't. I have no interest in wasting your time or giving you some snake oil or trying to get you to like, follow me. Please. Not only am I not that cool, but neither are you. <laughs> We're not that cool, Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not begging for like, I hope they like me. I hope they, I hope they really like me. Man, come on, guys. It's, it's stupid. So because of that, wake up. Let's wake up. This is the structure that God has given. You say, well, well, okay, so is it about attendance? It's not about attendance. You know what the issue is? The issue is that of assembly. The issue is not attendance. The issue is assembly. We are coming together for a purpose. Is that not what this is? Are we in Arkansas for any other reason than we, but we have a purpose to come together so that God would speak to us, that we'd hear his word and then be able to walk it out? We join the saints for a purpose. We assemble together for a purpose. And that purpose, that gathering is meant to produce something. Stop being consumers. Stop seeing what the worship can give you. Stop seeing what Brandon can give you. Stop seeing what this church can give you with, with friends and family and loved ones. That's good, and that's the benefits of God's church. But the reason why we come together, and it's all of that and more, but it's to produce something. That when we come together, and when the man of God speaks the word of God, we are pricked in our hearts, and we're saying, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to be? What would you have me to do? And instead of just concocting it on my own, I want to talk to my pastor. I want to talk to my small group leader. I want to talk to my discipler. I want to see. I don't want to miss it. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And so we provoke each and every one of us so that a unified heart of worship could come about. Hebrews 10, 24 
And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Again, the importance of the local church has little to do with attendance. But it is through your attendance, by being present, that you and I are able to receive the working orders and the support we need to continue. So what am I saying? It's not about attendance. But it's through your attendance, and it's by being present, that you're going to hear the working orders of God for this assembly. Man, some people, they, they come up to us as pastors, and, they, and they, they want to be involved in the work of God, and, and, and they feel as if that, that no one is using their gift set, and, and they feel like they're in a corner. And the reality is, is, that, is, is that when that happens so often, the people that are talking to, to the pastor or, 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 the, or the fellowship leader or whatever is instead of finding themselves working to the, to the center of the local church, working to the, the movement of God's church, they're hoping that everyone will move out to them. I just don't think that my gifts are being utilized here. I had this very conversation with a student when I was the Kaya pastor, actually years ago. I just don't think my gifts are being utilized here, and I just don't see how I'd fit in. I said, it's because you're on the outside looking in. You're on the periphery, and you're hoping that the whole ministry model will go to you. And what I'm saying is, I need you to start walking in. Start walking in to the foundation, to the bedrock that God has given to his church. Start expecting for the whole movement to center and revolve around you and your gift set, and learn how to submit to the local church, and see how God can use you in that manner. From this we understand the church is not about busyness or activity, but rather it's about cultivating not only hearts of worship, but hands and feet to worship. It is the apparatus, the mechanism, if you will, that God uses to produce collective and sent out worshipers. Did you hear that? God uses his local church so that it could produce, it's the, it's the mechanism, it's the machine, it's the apparatus that God is using today to produce collective worship and sent out worship. On the contrary, if the church is just an avenue for events, if the church is just something that you do on Sundays or Tuesdays or Wednesdays or maybe you, you have a Bible study this day or that day and the church is just a series of events I can see why you would view it as an add-on to your calendar. If the church is simply an activity that you do with your life, I can see why you would think of it as an add-on instead of it being paramount to your existence. Listen, when I consider this, what I realize about the church is that I am no longer me. I'm no longer me without the church. I mean that with all sincerity. Speaking of the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says, For the body is not one member, but many. Meaning, I am incomplete without the rest of the parts of the body. And I can't function on my own. This is the bedrock of the worship that God expects for us to live out. Now, I know you, you've heard this before. I, I know you have. But the Christian doesn't go to church. The Christian doesn't go to church. I stopped going to church years ago. 
The believer is a member of the church. In this, the church, but see, if I go to church, then the church is what? It's an external part of my life. If I go to a place where I have activities and events and there's stops and starts, then I can see why the church is an add-on in your busy life. But if we have this paradigm shift according to the word of God and we recognize, no, I don't go to church. And listen, guys, I get it. We all say it, okay? But maybe we need to stop. I don't go to church. The believer is a member of the church. In this, the church can no longer be an external part of my life. As a Christian, biblically, I realize that in no way can I be the fullness of what God intends as a Christian and not be a member or a part of the body of Christ in his church. It is not an external part of me. So why is it an external part for you? And so I fit the church in, and, I'm, and I like the church. I love the church. It's a really special thing. And I'll fit it in when I have opportunity. Listen, I am the church. I am the church. I am inseparable from it. I am no longer me without the church. I am as much it as it is me. I have no identity outside of it. And you go, well, wait a second. I thought your identity is hidden in Christ. Well, okay, Bible student. The church is the body of Christ. And I am a member of that body. And so in no way can I be, in, can I be separated from the church. I am the church. And you are too if you know Jesus Christ. It can no longer be an add-on for our lives. Guys, I'm so burdened by this message because I look at a room full of people who are beginning to have families or that's something that you hope to have at some point. And I'm telling you, there are so many ways in which you can turn left or turn right instead of, man, following that clear and direct path of God. And the church then, as you get busy and as you have a real job and you have, you have a real family and not a fake one, right? And you have, you have all these things that are real and pressing. You know that the first thing that happens? All the external things. Well, I used to ride a bike all the time, but I don't have time for that because, you know, junior. And, and which is good, you start realizing, what are all the things that I just can't do anymore? I can't always go to, you know, whatever, whatever hobby you have. Why? Because you have more important things to do. And for many of us, what happens? Well, the church becomes an add-on. And on the flip side, if, and if the church is just a place where there is a clear starting and stopping point, then we're doing it wrong. Rather, the drive of the local church is meant to create communion by which all of us can collectively enter into the worship and work of God. Even more so, if we study the, the etymology of the word itself, we find that the word for the church in your Bible is ecclesia. Technically, this word means a called out assembly. Ecclesia. Right? We think in Spanish, iglesia, right? Similar word, right? And so we have this word, and ecclesia means a called out assembly. And listen, when you think of the church, that word that's used in the Greek, um, it's, it's, it's not a religious word, far from it. Its usage derives from a governmental origin as individuals, or we think of like the house of representatives, right? 
as individuals are called out of their communities and these representatives, what do they do? They represent you and your state, your city, your, your county. They represent your district and they are working, quote, for you, right? They are a called out assembly. Well, Jesus Christ begins to use this word of, of the church because he wants us to know that you likewise have been called out of this world. And you now are a called out assembly and you represent both man to God and God to man. The hope is that we would represent Christ to the world and the world to Christ. But guys, this is not something that we do alone. God desires for you to be that representative of God with others. This evening, I'm fearful that the good work of God is going to pass us by, all because we haven't consecrated God's church, not just our lives. I want to consecrate my life. No, consecrate God's church. The church of God has been set apart in my life. It's holy. It's separate. Nothing can touch it. It's, it is me as much as I am it. I am the church and it is me. I'm incomplete without it. But here's the deal. We've compartmentalized our faith. And we've certainly compartmentalized the church. We give to the church, but only as it is in balance with the other pursuits of our lives. I'm going to give financially. I'll even give of my time here and there. But I'll only do that as it is in balance with other pursuits of my life. But to that I say, to the balance of what? What? what, what? If we're going to finish this math equation, uh, balance means that there's at least two parts, I think. <laughs> okay? All the math teachers are like, well, technically, you know. If I'm balancing my, my church life with another life, does that sound biblical? That sounds problematic. And so I said, when you're trying to balance it with all your other pursuits, I want to say to the balance of what? What other plans do you have? Well, the best answer is this. Well, it's my family, and my family is my first ministry according to the word of God. You got me. Once again, to that I'd say, isn't the central purpose of the family to be driven by God's mission? Isn't the central purpose of the family of God to be driven by the church of God, by, by the mission of God? Others will say, well, I, I have a job. I have to provide for my family. I have to, you know, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. And then you make that an idol. Once again, let me ask you, especially for those of you who are just getting into your careers, why did God give you that job? Why did God give you that job? So you wouldn't have opportunity in the mission? Why did God give you that family? And man, some of us are having these, these beautiful babies now, and, and, you, and you just can't get enough of them. You can't kiss them enough. You can't hug them enough. You can't spend time with them enough. You just can't stop smiling and crying and just being so thankful. Why did God give you that soul? Why? Just so you could make an idol out of them? Why did God give you that job? Just so you could be completely focused with that to the, to the, to the, the, the rejection of the one good work that he always intended for us? 
Didn't God give you your job for the sake of the mission? You see, the good work of God is a work that is accomplished through his church. And if that is the case, then my ultimate goal tonight is to find a way for you to see the need for you to get your family in the church. Listen, if the work of God is accomplished with his church, then my ultimate goal, forget you for now, my ultimate goal is to find a way to get my family into the church. And there's no longer a compartmentalization. There's no longer, well, I gotta have my family time and my church time. Listen, it's not this, it's this. It's not all of these pursuits. I have one pursuit and it's the mission of God. And if there is any imbalance, then it means in some way I'm not being a steward in those things as it relates to the mission of God. I want my job and the interest that I have to point others to the church. I want my evangelism and missions to work in submission of the church. Listen, I don't want to go rogue. I don't want to go rogue and end up missing on what God has for my life. Is the church perfect? We all know that. No. But it is the structure that God has given us to accomplish his work today. You can have a purpose-filled life of mission and submission to his church. And can I say this, that not only do you need the church, but the church needs you. Not only do you need the church, but the church needs you. Man, I'm so tired of having part-time Christians. I'm so tired of having part-time help. I want people who have no other agenda. I'm so desperate for the people of living faith, especially the young people, to say, I have no other agenda. I have none. Whatever I was pursuing, and I'm not saying you, can't, you shouldn't have a job. We know the balance that God shows us in his word. But what's the purpose of that job? What's the purpose of your family? It should be to be about the good work of God. Tonight, my closing challenge is simple, and thank you for spending this time with me. If you want to matter in God's good work, you've got to stop running from the church. Your attendance cannot be that of convenience or when it fits your schedule. It's time you make the church what God has always desired for it to be, a place where you can be fitly joined in his work. Let's close with a few passages. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love." So this evening, as we, we begin to close, 
and you know, the praise team can begin coming forward if you want now, and, and people can become ready. But I want to ask some questions. This evening, what steps are you going to take to partner and submit to your pastor? That's the first one. What steps are you going to take to partner and submit to your pastor? Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. As they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. How will you now partner with your small group leader? Stop just going to small group. Stop just going to Bible study. How will you partner with the work that God is doing in your small group? How will you partner with your discipler? How will you begin to serve the body of Christ in your church? Maybe you've been coming and that's the season that you're in, but there's coming a point where you need to see it's time for me to begin serving others as well in his good work in the church. Do you need to reevaluate how you've led your family? I know there's some young families in here. Some of us, we need to reevaluate right now how we are leading our family. Do you need to rethink your work and your interests so that they align with the mission of the church? I close with Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Before we pray, I, I just want to give you an opportunity tonight in consideration of the, of the words that were just spoken, of the, the passages that were, were read, how are you going to, be a, going to be taking actual steps to follow God within the structure of the local church? And so I'm going to ask that we have counselors and people from both churches, if you would, please stand up here while we begin worship. I am going to pray for everyone Do not leave here this evening without consulting with someone. Talk with someone. What are the decisions that you need to make? What are the the motives that need to be shifted? In what way do we need to repent, as was already spoken, of certain ideas, ideologies that are not framed by the word of God? Tonight, let's make a decision and follow the Lord. Amen? God, we ask that please you would do a work even this evening, that we would make a a, a choice to, to follow you and not our own devices, not our own ideas. Oh God, please give uh, the, the feet that are as heavy as can be, uh, Lord, that are anchored by past decisions, even sin, uh, uh, rebellion to you and your work, and we, we haven't entered according to the way you desire, God, Give us just a lightness so that we can come forward, so that we can talk to someone, so that we can pray and give you the honor and glory you deserve. And God, tonight, if, God, please, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, God, would you please move in them to show them that a life in Christ will give them victory and it will allow them to begin entering into the good work of God here this evening. So God, I love you and I pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. And so guys, I'm going to invite you even right now as we praise and, and maybe tonight, right now, this is not the time for you to begin singing. There's many opportunities for you to worship God in song. Maybe right now it's a time for you to step forward, to talk with someone, to pray with someone, to let someone know where you're at, to confess. 
to make confession with someone you trust. There are people all over here, and we don't have all the answers, but we believe the book does. So let's make a decision tonight, amen? Let's stand and praise the Lord. Today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.